As one of the UK's most influential mental health advocates, Josh regularly speaks on BBC, ITV and Channel 5 News. That first nine months of my sobriety was the pain of everything that I'd ever experienced and ran away from in my whole life. So it wasn't just not drinking anymore. It was the loss of my dad when I was younger. He's also spoken in the House of Commons, contributed to mental health policy and even advised the scriptwriting team on Hollyoaks. I mean, it just made me think if I could convince myself I'm going to kill myself next week, every weekend, I could, might be able to have this kind of experience. And that really was what set me on this journey of trying to find the answer. He runs resilience workshops for village schools and global brands alike. Additionally, he is an ambassador for NACO, a charity supporting people affected by a parent's drinking. If I could go back, was probably not bring people into that journey so early on and sort of hurt them in the way that I probably did. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. Josh, absolutely honored, delighted, privileged to have you here today on this podcast. I came across your page some time ago incredibly inspirational content and a story there, which is going to resonate with many of the male listeners on this podcast. It's resonated with me and I felt incredibly empowered after watching some of your videos. So well done and thank you for sharing that. And I want to bring it back to a time in your life where you went through an extremely painful experience and how that became the catalyst for change in your life. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, look, the first thing that uh, comes into my head when, you know, with the question is, and this might might sound a little bit strange to what you might see out there, is when I got sober. So my, my early sobriety, the early stages, the first particularly nine months of when I stopped drinking were probably the most painful um, of my entire life. Uh, and I sort of recognize now it's because alcohol and drugs were my way of how I felt, right? And so when I took them away, I was just left with everything of how I felt. And after maybe a very short period of, uh, you know, being on a sort of cloud and feeling like everything was amazing, very quickly, all of the emotions came flooding back. And I, you know, if you look at the question, what was the most painful moment? In some ways, I'm kind of cheating because uh, that first nine months of my sobriety was the pain of everything that I'd ever experienced and ran away from in my whole life. So, you know, it wasn't just not drinking anymore. It was the loss of my dad when I was younger. Um, my dad was was an alcoholic as well. So not just the loss of him, but the experience of him um, up until he died when I was nine years old. And then... Um, the, the the sort of pain that followed that and then the path that I found myself going down and everything that I did and the experiences that I had as a result of that sort of not only kept kept that pain trapped and hidden it further compounded it by becoming a version of myself that regularly did things that brought me pain you know so uh 
that's <laughs> that's probably like the general overview of the answer mm-hmm. um yeah that first nine months how did you navigate those extremely painful emotions and feelings as they came up but the first thing that i did was desperately try and push them all down and desperately try and push them all down and present in a way that i still think is sort of largely celebrated right which is um pretend that everything's all right so when i got sober what i had was this new character that i could be was this new sober josh who was loving life and everybody was congratulating me and so i just acted really happy and like everything was great um when internally it was it i was worse than i'd ever been um and the way that I navigated it was, was the, I guess the answer is that I didn't. Um, and, and ultimately I was going to, after nine months, I was, I planned my, to take my own life when I was nine months sober. And it was only, it was only an experience with my children that stopped me doing that. And then, you know, put me on the path uh, that I find myself on today. And, you know, when I look at that, uh, you know, that decision that I had made, um, it sort of makes sense when you look at the pain that I was experiencing, right? And and having no what nothing to do with it, nothing, you know, no outlet, um, no direction. It made sense that I felt like I couldn't go on anymore. Mm-hmm. So the kids were a catalyst to that change. You feel? Well, I went. What happened was I went to see them, and because I like I I I tried everything. Right, once I quit using alcohol. I thought all my problems would go away as a result of stopping drinking, right? And what happened was is that they stayed there. And then, you know, there were things that I did, um, the way that I showed up to relationships, for example, um, the way that I particularly interacted with women is a is a prime example, yeah. Um, I, you know, put the, all that down to alcohol and the way that I drank. And then after a month or two or three months of not drinking anymore, and these behaviors are creeping back in, well, now I can't blame alcohol anymore. So then where do I go, right? I, I, it must be me. I must be a horrible person. And I really struggled to have my kids um, on the weekends because I used to have them on the weekends at the time. And I couldn't do that. So I just thought I must be a terrible person. So for me, it felt like the only decision and it felt right. And it felt, you know, honest. It felt noble to do it. And because I knew that I, what I was going to do when I went to see my kids for this one last time, it was like everything that had ever clouded my mind up until that point went because it was relevant now. It didn't matter. And I no longer had this terror about the future. And so like the, I didn't know this at the time, but when I look back now, it was the first time I was ever really present with my children. And so like, I had this experience that was like, like if only my life could be like this all of the time, if only I could have this experience all of the time. And that, you know, that's what made me change my mind. And I say it made me realize that what was killing me was all of that emotional stuff that I was struggling with. But to be honest with you, I mean, it just made me think if I could convince myself I'm going to kill myself next week, every weekend, right? I'll be able, to, I could might be able to have this kind of experience. And that really was what set me on this journey of trying to find the answer and trying to make sense of why I felt like I, like I did, you know? Yeah, so you were finally able to be present because you thought that this was going to be the last ever experience you would have with your kids. And exactly. That there was going to be no more after that. Yeah. 
So when you left the kids then on that day, had your mind changed already or did you still have the idea or the plan to kill yourself afterwards or did that well, experience gave, itself change? It gave me, it gave me like a, it gave me a sense of what I guess people would call hope, right? Because it gave me an inkling that, that, that perhaps there was something different, right? That perhaps I could experience life in this new way. And then I just started, um, consuming content really i was looking on youtube i found um a guy called at the time i think it was john bradshaw um who talks a lot about this childhood stuff you know and then and and nobody had ever explained any of the stuff like that you know the only things that i'd ever been told about the ways that i felt was that i just had a an illness you know so it's like you know, I looked at things, you know, I had this really difficult time throughout my whole life. And then in my adulthood was being told not only had I had, had a really difficult life, I'm also blessed with anxiety and depression and all of these different things that I was sort of led to believe were just this biological things that I was born with. So it was like just heaping more crap on me, you know. Uh, and when I started to uh, consume content that was giving me a different uh, way of looking at it it brought a hell of a lot of power back into my life because when I started to think maybe I'm like this as a result of my experiences that made me think well then maybe I can create and have experiences that might be able to change this right or maybe there might be some power in my life that can create some meaningful change in my life and that's been you know that's gone on to be my truth in the last 10 years right but that's been my truth is that the more that I'm able to make sense of and give meaning to my struggle, the more power I have in my life. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine that wasn't a linear process though, was it? That it just went from no, that decision to then, yeah, everything just started to fall into place afterwards. There were some difficulties and barriers along the way. What did they look like? Many, many, many. I mean, look, I, I, the last 10 years have been a series of finding the answer um thinking this is it i've found it if as long as i do this everything's going to be all right and then that stopping working and then having to find something else and then going down another path and then realizing that's not working anymore and having to find something else and i mean that's not stopped remotely and it's not that that realization has stopped all of my pain or i've made sense of it now and now i'm just full of power um not not remotely you know, and I can go very close back to those feelings that I was having in those first nine months. Still today, you know, the only difference I would say in my life today is that when I go back to them, uh, there's a sense of uh, sort of knowing or a sense of I've been here before and I, and I, and I invariably seem to find something to, to sort of pull me through it. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and by the way, in that 10 years, the things that I've tried, the list is endless, you know, and some of the things that I would have shouted about five years ago as like game changing and, you know, the one thing that's changed my life completely, uh, you know, I can probably look at now and say it does absolutely nothing for me whatsoever. You know, that's how dramatically it does change for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. It is a ever ending process and that's probably something that needs to be accepted as you go through the process that there never really is a 
an end to the uh, to the struggle or potentially to the pain. But what you can do is develop the tools and strategies to help you understand it as opposed to avoid it, which, as you know, will create further pain and difficulties in your life. So as you mentioned there, when you go back and revisit those painful experiences, you can deal with them now in a healthy way as opposed to in the past when you'd be pulled back into those painful pits you would avoid it or numb it out with with the alcohol. So what are some of those tools and strategies that you have developed over the years that you continually lean on to to keep you uh, upright and to allow you to continue moving forward here? Yeah, look, I think um, the things that often get missed out in this conversation with the question like that, I, I notice there's a part of me that wants to give you a bit of a like, spangly answer right of something that people might not have tried before um but i really do think that consistently doing the basic things uh that i'm supposed to do as a human being and they're very very simple uh it doesn't necessarily mean they're always easy but they're very very simple are the things that work best for me so um movement yeah strenuous movement yeah and like when i say strenuous movement i think you know, we're designed to go out and have to work hard to get what we need to survive, right? So we don't really necessarily have to do that in the way that we used to, right? In terms of physically working hard. A lot of my work now is sat down like this, right? So I have to make sure that I'm building strenuous work into my life pretty regularly. Um, And that I can couple that with pushing myself mentally emotionally and spiritually as well i think that's what you know working out be it in the gym or i play football regularly in a number of different things stuff like that i think is vital um and i think as people we've normalized not doing it sometimes in an attempt to make people feel better about not doing it uh if that makes sense that can sound a little bit harsh but i don't mean it to um and then um regular intimate connection and when i say intimate connection i just mean not regular connection to talk about the football match on the weekend but for me particularly with men connection with them to share who i am what i'm struggling with uh and what's coming up for me um so yeah connection like that that deep sort of intimate connection a lot of movement and then making sure that i'm staying as connected as I can to my body. Both of those things do that connection, you know, movement and really, uh, you know, the way that I work out, but then breath, using my breath or any other kind of centering techniques um, can be really useful for me. So they're like, I've gone a long way right around the house just to tell you three key things. But I think they're three key things that, you know, invariably uh, or inadvertently when I'm struggling, I've dropped one or two of them. And I'm, I'm normally confused, yeah? And I want to go and, like, I'm struggling again, so I need to go off down onto a mountain and meditate with a goat for three weeks, right? Rather than thinking, you haven't moved properly, connected with anybody, or done any centering exercises for a month. Rather than just falling back in line with what works, you know, I'll go on Instagram and find somebody who's doing this, I don't know, walking on hot ashes in a mountain type stuff, which is all great, by the way. I love all of that, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. 
sort of going back to our um our primitive nature to move mm. and to connect and uh through the through the movement we connect the body through connection with others we connect to ourselves as well and you know we feel valued in in the presence of others as well i think that's a massive thing that's lacking at the moment is the lack of as you mentioned authentic genuine connection and there's therefore a disconnect within the individual because there's no reciprocity in terms of understanding their worth and their value based on someone else holding them in mind or someone else appreciating their their presence or their or their own connection and, and as part of their life. So that reciprocity is is so important, but I think it's lacking massively with men today. And mm. they're finding these meaningless connections, if you want to call a connection, like through the hookups or through porn or through avoidance of going all in on friendships, on relationships with women, with men, and therefore there's a, an epidemic of of loneliness out there at the moment, I feel. Would you agree? Definitely. Yeah, I, like, I couldn't agree more, particularly in terms of the ways um, that we create that sort of false connection. And connection is not even the right word, is it? Because that's not what it creates, and you've sort of picked up on that. But whatever it is, creating that, I guess it's just numbing out, right? It's just numbing out and uh, under the guise of connection. Um, and it's so easily accessible now in such a number of different forms for people. Uh, I think it's, yeah, an epidemic. It's real problematic, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you help others navigate that or make better decisions when it comes to connecting with themselves? So look, for one of the things that I've got, um that we do is our regular men's space we have something here in the uk called uh, uncommon man which is a space that we create regularly once a month um where men can come together and it's not over fabricated we just do some listening to each other we go off in some groups share anything that's coming up and then we do a breath work um session and then we have a whatsapp group on the back of that where we can share um and i encourage people you know i've got a, i've got a a couple of mates that every Monday morning uh, we voice note each other. Uh, what's coming up for you? What's come up for you in the week? Anything that you've struggled with? Uh, anything that you're worried about for the coming weekend? And just a little bit of a check-in of what's going on, you know? These kind of things, again, are really, really simple. Um, but just when you jump on those voice note uh, and you start talking, you think, so often we're finishing this by going, yeah, that's been five minutes. I didn't think I had anything to say today. And loads, just as I explored myself and searched inside, loads has come up, you know? So uh, again, it's it's re- it's these simple things that have huge impact, I think. I'm actually going to take that on board, that voice note on a Monday. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got four or five friends that I could reach out to on a more regular basis. That's, that's actually a brilliant thing to do. And... Can you talk talk to us about the breath work though? Because it's not something I have dipped into yet. I've gone through processes of of therapy. I journal every single day. Haven't done the meditation thing. Haven't done the breath work thing. Why has that been such a, a pivotal part of your own healing and recovery? Have you ever tried uh, meditation? Have you ever tried meditation? I've tried meditation, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Don't you can't get on with it? Uh, it does. Oh, trick question. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. Doesn't, I, doesn't stick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm asking uh, for. I'm asking for a reason. Okay. So, okay. when when uh, I put you on the spot a little bit. Um, okay. W- one of the main reasons breath work I think is amazing is because I think meditation is one of these things that everyone's talking about. And I reckon probably higher than 50% of the people that are talking about doing it, saying they do it, don't do it. Right. And I know that's a bit of an outlandish statement. and I've got no statistics to back it up. But when I first really wanted to start doing it, I would ask people, do you meditate? They say, yeah. And then I say, how do you do it? And they go, oh, it's a personal experience. And I'm like, well, just tell me your personal experience. How do you do it? Oh, you need to just go away and try it. And I started to think you're not doing it. Otherwise, you just tell me how you do it. And it, like to a degree, that was true for me, right? I, like I would try it, I shut my eyes, focus on my thoughts, my head would go really loud. I think that was gross. I don't want to do it anymore, right? And that's kind of my general, always been my experience. And, and and still even today, by the way, if I try and slow my breathing down and come into my body, it doesn't necessarily always feel like a, a, a very safe place for me, for me to be. So I don't do it. Um, and I, you know, I weigh, I come into my body in a much more comfortable way um by pushing myself uh with exercise yeah you know if i'm trying to get the last rep when i'm on the bench for example i'm way more in my body if i'm physically thinking how how far can i push this than if i meditate right so uh breath work the reason it changed my life in the way that it did is because you have to to do the breath work that i deliver which is like in its basic of forms, you do a routine for 26 minutes. So you do a breathing pattern for 26 minutes and you have to push yourself to get to the end, right? Like there's no um, other way of doing it than really pushing yourself, both physically and really mentally to get to the end of it, you have to push yourself. And then when you get to the end of it, because of the impact that it has on your body and what it does to you, you're so out of it at the end of it that it allows you to meditate for ages afterwards because you're so present and forced into your body uh, through having to push yourself. Um, it just changed the game for me. And it's the only, it's still the only way um, where I really can lay still, be present in my body and allow myself uh, thoughts and feelings to pass through me um, and just be able to almost you know feel them without any judgment it's the only thing that's ever worked for me in that way um and it's so hard to believe unless you do it what it can do and how it can be and like it makes you know emotional release breath work that i deliver normally because you come so in your body it brings up all your emotions it makes you cry it brings everything out um and it's just breathing and it's just it's so accessible to everybody that's why i keep shouting about it um, in the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Gonna have to book a trip to the UK soon, I think. Check this out. <laughs> wow, I do. I do them online. I can send you a link. Let me send you a link. You should Brilliant. try it. You can yeah. do it online at home in the safety of your own space, and you should yeah. try it. Yeah, I might need to be held afterwards by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, you can hold yourself as well. That's the good thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I'm I'm definitely intrigued by it. I know a lot of a lot of men who uh, advocate it, and uh, I know actually several uh, leaders in the field like yourself who also uh, hold practices for it as well. So, 
it's circulating an awful lot, but it's just not something I've dipped into yet. But I'm, it's 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 on it's on the list. It's on the list. So, um, let's do it. And uh, yeah, so it's probably more suitable to men as well because it requires that pushing and that grinding. Would you agree? As opposed to meditation. For men, yeah. I mean, the breathwork itself is suitable for anyone, yeah? Like, yeah. Uh, anyone. But but why I think it's real, like, why I think men are being more and more drawn to it, right, is because it pushes you almost in, like, a primal way into your body, yeah? And I think men are really good at, like, um, appeasing almost when we talk. So people say talk, we'll go and we'll talk in groups and we'll do just enough. Um, but we're very, I think we've been made to largely speaking be very very good at self-organizing and self-managing and holding in what we need to hold in letting out what we need to let out right and so even when we go into these spaces where we might do sharing and talk about the ways that we feel i think we're still still very good at sharing just enough mm-hmm. um without ever having to actually feel it and this breath work really helps with that really um yeah to go beyond that yeah drops the barriers yeah okay definitely yeah Mm -hmm. how's the relationship with your with your kids now having gone through that that process in your life over the last 10 years versus where you're at years before that how's that changed well look i i I mean i show up now um i was completely incapable of showing up previously um though i never would have fully admitted that I mean, like, I, I was unable to be myself at all, right? I was unable to be with myself, let alone with anybody else. And so now, I mean, the relationship's changed in that we have one. But I had always physically um, and sort of intellectually shown up to the relationships, right? But emotionally, I was unable to be with them because I couldn't be with myself. And, I, and like, I experienced that as a child from a lot of the men in my life who were, um, you know, even my stepdad, who's an amazing man, right? Um, still with my mom today. He's a great, you know, I see him all the time. We're, we're close and all that. Um, but he's not emotionally sort of open, right? Do you know what I mean? And so we, we don't necessarily have that deep emotional bond. And as somebody who's sort of highly sensitive and highly emotional like I am, um, it was a real problem when I was younger, right? Because I felt like... I've got all this, you know, I could sense and feel that there were, there was something missing. But by the time I was an adult, I'd shut those things down so strongly and built up such a fortress around me. I was doing the same thing to my kids, you know? So, so I feel like the way the relationship has changed is I've knocked down some of those walls now and allow my kids to be with me as much as possible. Don't get me wrong. I'm still, uh, you know, I still shut down a lot. I still uh, will emotionally close off from people, but I'm way more aware of it today and, and can be much better at, uh, at being available more often. Mm. And how do you process or deal with the potential trauma that they're going through in their life? And because the, the reason I asked this is because uh, like yourself, I had, I had a daughter when I was 26 and when I was, 26 i was pretty fucked um i had all my underlying traumas still very real buried deep within 
And of course, that would have come out in bursts of anger or rage towards my daughter or again, not being emotionally available or not being supportive or not being empathetic in times when I should have been. And it's taken me quite some time and it's still a process to go back and forgive myself for those moments when I fucked up with her and I have a great relationship with her now and I always have had a great relationship with her, but I can see some of the the rage and the anger that I would have um, projected onto her at an early age sort of comes up in her as well. Now she is moving into her teenage years. So that has a, that has a compounding effect with hormones and everything else. But now I can be present with, and I can talk to her about it and I can help her through that situation. But it's taken me a long time to get to the point of forgiving myself. And is that something you've struggled with in your own life when it comes to, reflecting back on the type of person you were before the healing or is that something you've processed at this point and you've been able to have a level of self-compassion for your younger self i think it's taken time to develop the self-compassion um but what i would say is that like my eldest daughter for example was six when i stopped drinking right so she's now 16 she goes to college and stuff like that and make no mistake about it so she some of her struggles in her life are a result of the experiences that she had uh as my daughter right so i have to be really clear about that um for me the self-compassion comes not necessarily from ridding myself of the guilt like i know that i could say you know i can't live my life feeling guilty um but to me that would lead me to avoid because when i think hard about it i do feel guilt and I think I will for the rest of my life. The self-compassion for me is what I do with that guilt. Yeah. So rather than beat myself over the head with a stick about it, you know, metaphorically, what I do today is I, when I feel and experience that guilt, then I say, I, you know, I'm going to make sure that I use that to drive to, you know, ultimately in the end work on myself so I can be as present with her as I can in my life today, you know, and I use her as an example because I've got more than one kid, but, um, that's what I do with the guilt. And I think I think I should feel guilty. Like I think the guilt is is normal, right? I think that I think I should feel guilty. Um it's when that guilt turns into shame and I just sit there and think, oh, you know, there's nothing I can ever do to, you know, it's hard. I I can never change what I've done. You know, if I if I tell my kids, I tell my kids, right? When they when they say sorry, I say sorry's not a word, sorry's an action, right? So you don't say sorry to me, just show me that you're sorry and put it right. Yeah. Or do what you can. And so I try and do that. You know, I'm, I am really sorry about what the way that I was. It wasn't necessarily always a choice, but I certainly played a part in a lot of it. Right. Some of it was driven by my own choices, however I look at it. And so the action is about how I show up in their life today. I can't control or change what I did back then, but I can control and change the way that I show up today, you know, and that for me is what is what I try and do. And by the way, fail miserably sometimes if I'm being glaringly, you know, because all this stuff shows up in my relationships more than it does anywhere else, right? Particularly, you know, a lot of my emotional wounds were happened in the parent-child relationship. So they show up now in the parent-child relationship. It just so happens that I'm the parent in it. So that's, I think that's hard, man, but I think, we have to be as honest as we can about it because 
I think it's very easy to avoid it and like paint a sort of spiritually bright, nice looking, you know, I've dealt with my traumas and I'm giving my children a life they'll never have to heal from and being everything, you know, I needed when I was a child. But if I told you that, then I'd be lying. Yeah. I get it. I get it. It's, uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to raise perfect, enlightened children or adults or children who will become adults. So for me, it's helping them. Uh, got a son as well, daughter and a son, but helping them to establish similar tools as I have whenever those struggles do appear or whenever the problems do come to the surface. And again, now I can help them change the perspective on their anger or their rage or their temperament or their sadness or whatever's going up there coming up negatively for them to help them to change their perspective on it so they can change their behaviors and actions as they move forward. So as you mentioned, is to be fully present with them now and to know that you are there for them in those moments of difficulty, as opposed to not being emotionally available in the past. So yeah, we can't change what's been done, but we can influence the present and the future with our actions today. So, and that, as I said, brings that power and control back to you that, you know, you, what you do today really matters. You know, it's not too late. So, and how have your relationships changed when you went through the process of giving up the alcohol and the healing process? Did you ever try to make it work again with your partner or was that just too far gone at that point? Yeah, I think getting sober um, made me realize how wrong that relationship was, right? And how, you know, how it never really should have been. Um, and I, you know, to be honest with you, we stayed together longer than we should have, right? That's that's became clear when I look back at it now. And I think I was so terrified of creating a broken home, right? And I think we use this term broken home, which I don't particularly like, really, but for want of a better expression and i think sometimes it's the staying that creates the broken home when actually separating would create the potential for two loving homes um and so sometimes i think that's the way better option that was certainly true in my case mm -hmm. yeah i like how you put that man yeah there's there's toxicity in that in that broken relationship that will filter onto the kids and doesn't do do them any favors to be with two unhappy parents. So yeah, um, everyone sort of loses out in the long term. You spoke there as well recently about stall the stalling of your healing and how your healing can stall. Can you talk to us about that and explain in a bit more detail? Because although many of us go through this healing process, there are some stalling there is some stalling processes along the healing process. Can you explain why that happens and how we can continue moving forward beyond that? Because I understand that you can use your pain to benefit your life as well. And it becomes part of your identity. It would take this Goggins effect, for example, you know, feel your pain and fucking get after it. On a, on a daily basis or work out so, so hard. And I've, I've, I've gone that down that route, but that in itself delays the healing process, at least as it did for me. And I'm, is that what you're referring to in terms of 
when you start healing, you're having to leave a certain identity or certain ideas or ideals behind. And this is what stalls it potentially, or is it something more? Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm like, I always look at the language, right? And I think when we, if we look at the like stalling, when we use the word stall, it it sounds like it's almost stopping, right? And I like the, you know, the, the David Goggins stuff I've done. There's loads of things right that I would say now that was like a path that I went down. But in some ways, like I learned a bit going down. I learned something going down there. So it's almost like sometimes we don't realize that we are still on the journey, but it's just a dogged part of the journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a part where we're unlearning something or we're learning something that we're not necessarily going to need in the future and so we're just learning to try it and it not be needed and I think sometimes what happens as well is our healing journey gets caught up and becomes very mixed up with like the human experience right and then we can get caught up trying to heal things that don't need healing they're just part of the human experience which is you know if you look at all like the big spiritual teachers um One of them is either Buddha or Jesus said life is suffering. One of them, I think, said life is pain, right? And I I think the reason they say that is because we get caught up believing that we're going to be able to reach some state where there ain't going to be any pain. And I don't think it'll ever happen, right? And so in the end, when I look at it, right, I say that, like, I spent the first few years looking for the answer. There was a period of time where I found the answer, Right. And then there's a period of time that follows that where I realized it wasn't the answer and that I know very little. But actually, there's a lot of freedom in knowing that I know very little. Right. And actually, I think when you reach that stage of I don't really know what 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 the answer is, but I'm having a whale of a time looking. There's more freedom in that. Right. Um, And so in the end, all I really have is my awareness which is like knowing when I'm flying and I've found something and it's working. So, you know, like breath work, I found properly found about three years ago, trained to do it myself a couple of years ago. I'm still in that, uh, the heyday of the breath work, right? I also have a bit of an awareness that eventually the magic of it will subside and it will just become uh something that i do regularly that i know has a positive impact you know so sometimes just like enjoying it when you're flying and then knowing that when you're in that moment that we might call stalling or where it doesn't really feel like anything's happening and you you almost feel like you're you're going backwards you're trudging it's like walking through tree court just knowing that that happens too i think sometimes the obsession with thinking i need to stop allowing myself to get into the trudging space is part of the problem because it suggests that you can reach a life where there's going to be no difficulties. And, and who wants that anyway, really, when you look at it from a broad perspective. Yeah, true. It feels like you've been set back and that all your progress has been undone in those situations, but it's actually, as you mentioned, part of the process and there's something new to be learned there. And you pick up the pieces and you go again, what new knowledge or new intuition or something new, that you're aware of now. So, and as you look back in the last 10 years, is there's anything in that, that you would have done differently? What I've done differently in the last 10 years, in the last, in the last 10 years, uh, 
I guess if I'm being like really obvious, the relation, some of the relationships that I built in the first year or two, uh, I hurt some people around me because I was changing so dramatically, so drastically, so regularly. Um, I got in relationships, not just romantic ones at the beginning, but like, and you know, friendships as well where uh, and and then i would drop them very very quickly because i would change so dramatically very very quickly so like i've always said this when because pe people often say to me uh no regrets though you know people say no regrets they hear my life story and they go no regrets though and i'm like no i have i have some serious regrets but they're all based around or most of them anyway are based around hurting other people so like my kids we've talked about my kids yeah i regret in, in an ideal world, I'd have brought them into a world that was way more stable and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I look at the last 10 years, but particularly the last 10 years, I feel like everything I've done has been in an attempt to find meaningful healing. The things that I would do differently if I could go back was probably not bring people into that journey so early on um, and sort of hurt them in the way that I probably did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, I can relate to that. It's uh, a matter of improving the relationship with yourself first before you proceed towards a relationship with someone else. And if you're not, if you, if you have a lot of healing to do, you may use them to fix you or to depend on for a period of time. And especially if part of the healing process is the fear of being alone or the fear of being abandoned, which is a massive thing for so many people so many men anyway at this point and there's a codependency there that creates a a relationship full of friction and difficulty so yeah that's that's a good point actually that that um but then again on the flip side of that is that you don't lone wolf it and try to do it all on your own so there's a bit of a a balance to be found there or there's a bit of um could you yeah you can't do it on your own either because the type of relationships that you bring into your life at that point is maybe more to the point would you think yeah look as you were talking there i was sort of thinking it's all it's really hard because even those relationships that i had where people i, I you know inevitably probably did get hurt they were huge parts of my journey right so like, would I say to somebody, don't get in any relationships? Well, part of me would be like, look, my, so much of my healing needed to be in those types of relationships. And where else am I going to do it other than in those types of relationships? So I suppose my, I never, I never sort of knowingly sort of quote unquote used or hurt anybody. So in a way, um, I probably wouldn't change them either because like I needed, um, uh, particularly like uh, men and but other people close to me in those initial and I did build communities that were really useful for me and you know I think over any healing journey probably one of the hardest things is that people will come go right ultimately that is going to happen um, so yeah I mean based on what you said like I wouldn't say to somebody that was starting their healing journey like I was avoid relationships for the first year or two because they were vital for me so but but i but i also you know hold some regret for the impact that that might have had on those people in those relationships mm 
Mm -hmm. So I guess both can both can be true, right? Yeah. If you were to move into those those relationships, but you have another type of relationship that's allowing the healing process that you're not using them to try and fix you or to heal you. So you can show up a bit more for the actual important relationship in your life. So that sort of the work is done outside the relationship with somebody else, if that makes sense. But then it does. But then you have to be aware of that, you know, that that's the lack of awareness that most likely got you, got me, got us stuck in those sort of situations or with certain people. We just, we didn't understand why it was happening mm. until you come out the other side of it and look back. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's value in that too. Um, and those experiences that you could take with you then. So yeah, man. And how is, how are your relationships today and how, how do you approach that um, in a healthy manner as a man in today's world, having gone through this healing process? I think look, the thing that springs straight to my mind when you ask the question is that I show up, right? I'll forever in my life, when it got too much, I ran away. I'd just chop ties, go, gone, end it all, it's gone, right? Um, and I think the healing process hasn't brought about a life where the where there's no struggle or there's no problems in those relationships or where I don't mess up or where I don't, you know, fall into old habits and stuff like that. Um, but what I try to do today is show up, is show up to that, you know, in the, in the best way that I can. Whereas I used to think, well, this has all got a bit on top and then I would just cut ties and be gone and run. Do you know what I mean? Emotionally, physically, mentally, all of that stuff. Today I'm much better at showing up um, and feeling empowered to navigate the relationships that i feel matter to me mm -hmm. i've never been able to do that in the past to step into the challenge the challenges of a relationship as opposed to avoid it to almost embrace it yeah and embrace the person yeah. who's going through the challenge yeah and, and and find a way to bring my needs to the table because of what you know in the past what i what i did is like completely abandon myself show up in every way that I thought needed to be and then all of us you know then that loneliness that you talked about earlier I start experiencing that right and it's not because well it is because the, the, the people don't understand me but they don't understand me because I've bought a different version of myself to appease and be acceptable and to be loved and so like when I look at my relationships that have, are standing the, the time they're the ones where I still go down that path a little bit but rather than just thinking, oh, look, I'm here again, time to run. I'm like, let's try and untangle this. Let's try and work at this to untangle it, to make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. So that it, so that running doesn't have to be the only option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Empowering, man. And uh, yes, thank you for all you've shared today. I'm inspired and I'm definitely going to check out this, this breath work and can you tell us all where we can find you and uh, the type of work that you do that would help all the men listening to this podcast today? So, yeah, uh, I'm, the best place is my website, which is just joshconnolly.co.uk. Um, if you're in the UK, we do the men's group once a month in London next year. That will be expanding. Uh, that's about as much as I can commit to saying at the moment, because I don't know what that expansion will look like, but it will expand. Nice. Uh, and I regularly do um, an online program, which is like six weeks. That's online. People join that from all over the world. So um, that incorporates a lot of breath work if you wanted to give that stuff a try. Um, so yeah, that's me. But but just quickly as well on the, the conversation that we've had, 
I've really enjoyed it. And like, in some ways, I would say to anybody that's listening to it, I think what we've done is the the crux of healing, right? Which is where you've thrown out a question or a hypothesis. And rather than go, here's what the answer is, we both just get a little bit curious about it. Do you know what I mean? And then you and then you start to move towards something that makes sense, particularly when you asked me the question about something I would change or something, and then I reflected on it, then you reflected on it, then I changed my reflection on it. Do you know what I mean? That, for me, I try and do that myself in my own head, you know, and I think that's why I've reached some of the places that I reach is because I'm constantly, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about this? That curiosity for me is the most powerful tool, if there is one. Yeah, just to change your perspective on certain situations, yes, there's no yeah. s- several different angles to, to look at it from, yeah, and yeah lessons to be learned that will enable your healing process to continue so yes thank you man i'm going to check out this breath work in the meantime and uh make my way to the uk at some point and i'll i'll definitely be in touch when i I am man thank you yeah good man top man pleasure thank you thank you for tuning in to another episode of the modern warrior podcast if this episode has added value to your life please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.